Shalom, Rabbi Menachem Landa here, the spiritual leader of the beautiful community in Marin County, Chabad of Novato. And I'm here to share with you an incredible uh, teaching on a fascinating Torah portion. We're in the parsha of Shalach as we continue our journey through the Torah. We're now in the book of Numbers. We're in the fourth Torah portion of the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers. And it talks about a crazy story. The story takes place on the 29th of Sivan. So it's actually uh, pretty similar to the timing that we're in now. We're getting up to the 29th of Sivan in a few days. And this was in the year 2449, which was a year and a month after the Jews got the Torah. And now we're heading to the Promised Land and we're on our way. At this point, there isn't even yet a punishment of the 40-year wandering that actually came in this week's Torah portion. So let's first find out what happens and uh, then I'll give you a beautiful teaching from the Rebbe on it. In short, Moshe chooses 12 princes, 12 leaders, one of each tribe, to scout out the land of Israel. They're on their way to the land. Moshe, the leader, his plan is to entice, to excite, to um, increase the enthusiasm of the Jews to go to Israel. So he taps on the leaders to uh, bring back a good report. So he asks them to tell me what the land is like, mainly also to learn the best way of conquering the land. So Moshe asks them, tell me what the land, tell me what the people are like. Are they strong or are they weak? Let's go through the verse over here. Go through, he tells them even how to go through the land. Are there few people or are there many? What about the water supply in the land? Is it good or bad? What about the cities they live in? Is it an open fortress? Oh, sorry, is it an open city or is it a fortress? And then he asks them, what about the soil? Is it good land? Take some of the fruit and bring it back. So they went up and they came back and they told everyone, look at these fruits. The fruits were gorgeous. They were massive. It took a few of these, of the 12 spies, to bring back the fruit. They were so heavy and delicious. So there's 12 spies, 10 of them came back with a terrible report. They basically said that, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but we, we, there's no way we could handle this land. The people in the land are giants. They're even stronger than God himself. Could you believe it? Crazy. These are the Jews who just witnessed the splitting of the sea and the manna quite fascinating that they would fall so low and say, we can't handle this. There's no way we could enter and penetrate through Israel and uh, even God can't. So now out of the 12, two of them, their names were Joshua, who later succeeded Moshe as the leader of the Jews, and Kalev in Hebrew, Kalev the son of Yefune, in English I think it's Caleb, they actually came back with a beautiful report. They said, we can do this. This is an amazing land. This is our land. Let's go. God promised it to us. It's beautiful. Tova ha'aretz ma'od ma'od. This is a very, very good land. But they didn't listen to those two. They listened to the ten. And all the Jews fell for it. And they all cried, well, God, Moshe, why did he take us out? God, you're just planning to kill us here in the desert. And um, God was not impressed. He was pretty disappointed and angry. And uh, that's where Moshe pleaded with God to not act so harshly on the people for their mistake. And therefore, they only got a 40-year sentence in the desert. 
that's the story in short. You can actually check it up yourself in the Chumash for the longer and, and more beautiful version. If you're in Novato, come by tomorrow in services for uh, reading it as we discuss it more in length and in person. It's, uh, it's a nice time. But let's go through a lesson. What's amazing is during their report back, when they came back from Israel to the desert and they said all the negative things, Caleb actually interrupts them in the middle and says, he interrupts them. And he, he silent, the, the Torah says he silenced them. And he says, it is a good land. So now the question is, at the point when Caleb interrupts them, he silences them and says, we shall surely go up and take possession of the land. We can indeed overcome it. Those are his words. Why did he interrupt them at this point? Up until that point, the spies only spoke good. They spoke about the richness of the land. They spoke about the strength of its inhabitants. They actually spoke exactly what Moshe asked them to investigate. So what happened in their words? Was it the way they were speaking? Because if you read the words in the Torah itself, up until that point, they didn't say anything that negative. They said they're a strong people. And they said the fruit is big. Um, so why did he have to right away come on the defensive and uh, defend the land of Israel? So in short, there's something beautiful that the Rebbe learns from here is that what Kalev noticed was that they, even though they were reporting honestly based on what Moshe asked them to do, but they weren't reporting back in the same order as the leader Moshe's directives to them. And I'll explain how, but the point is, it was, slight, it was just a slight deviation that Kalev sensed a fundamental difference of priorities that the spies had different than Moshe. So let's just understand that. I'm going to go a little bit deeper and understand it. Moshe said, look at the land and try to follow along just this verse over here. What is the land like? Are the people who inhabit it strong or weak? Are they few or many? And what about the land itself? Is it a good land or a bad land? So the first thing he asked about was the strength of the land's inhabitants, of the people. What are the people like? Because Moshe's primary concern was how about going, how about fulfilling God's instructions of how best to conquer it. So if we know about the people in the land, it'll be easier to know how to prepare. The quality of the land was a bonus. That was secondary to Moshe. And therefore he asked only about that second. But when the spies came back, the first thing they spoke about was, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at its fruit. They first spoke about the land, and only afterwards they spoke about the challenging task of conquering it because of the people that are there. So it was a slight deviation. Moshe asked them to first speak about the land and report back about the land, and uh, sorry, first speak about the people and then the land. But they came back and they spoke about the land first and then about the people. So what Kalev realized in that deviation, is that they were making a dreadful mistake. Because when a person is doing God's will, the primary concern has to be to fulfill God's will. If they are primarily focused on the reward they would receive, then the dedication to that task is determined only by the benefit that comes as a result. So you're basically looking at every mitzvah that you're doing and saying, does the reward justify going to the great lengths to fulfill this particular mitzvah or not? So if a mitzvah is defined by the degree of difficulty it entails, it isn't long before 
a person would conclude wrongly that some of God's commandments are just not simp- are, are simply impossible to fulfill. And he would come with that, come to that, because he almost feels it's not worth it. I'm not getting a good benefit as a result. So what Kalev realized from the spies is that they were just primarily concerned about the fruit, about the land. Because they were looking for the benefit that they would get, that the Jewish people would get. What is the land like? Are we going to enjoy it? What is the fruit like? Is it flowing with milk and honey or not? And then also, what is, uh, how, how do we go about fulfilling God's command of conquering the land? But when Kalev realized that they were mainly concerned about the benefit, he saw the danger there. Because if a person is only doing something for a benefit, he will only be invested as much as he benefits from it. Take a relationship, for example. How are we in our relationships? If we're only in a relationship for what I get out of it, the whole relationship is flawed. You're in a relationship because you want to be there for the other person. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about my other half. So, and the same is also with employees. You're not looking like an employee that's only there for their paycheck, but does not care at all for the job that they're doing. They're probably not going to put themselves fully in it. But an employee who loves what they do, and of course, they need to put food on their table and they need a salary and you have to pay them well and all the all the parts that come with that, but they also are happy with what they're doing. That's the, You have to make sure your employee is happy. So when Kalev realized that they were just in it for the benefit, what do we get out of it? He saw a danger there, and he right away needed to put a stop. He needed to make sure that this is interrupted, and he wanted the Jews to listen to him. So we should learn a valuable lesson in our life, just how we are to be serving Hashem, how to be in our relationship with God, that we're in it not for the benefits that God gives us. Of course, we need them and we ask God for our, and we pray to God, but that's not why we're doing it, which means, God, if I don't get a million dollars today, uh, you're not going to get my tefillin or my prayer or my Shabbos. You do it because you're in a relationship. That's why we're doing it. And of course, we, as a secondary concern, we also want to make sure Hashem fulfills our needs and God willing, He will. But we're in a relationship that's a lot deeper. And that's what Moshe expected. And that's when Kalev, when he realized that they weren't following that guideline, he knew right away he needs to put a stop to it. Shabbat Shalom. I hope you enjoyed. And uh, stay tuned for another one coming up.